The following message is copyrighted by Westminster Theological Seminary. Duplication, distribution, or other use of all or any part of this message is not permitted without prior written consent. Please direct your inquiries to communications at wts.edu. For all other information, please visit the main website at www.wts.edu. Father, again, what a precious reminder that you are a faithful God and that you have given us everything we need to know you, to honor you, to love you. And we ask that in these few brief moments, you would refresh us and remind us of the great faithfulness of our God, who loved us so much that he gave his one and only son for us, whom to know is life eternal. We ask this in his precious name. Um, This is the first of hopefully many chapels that you'll be able to be a part of. Uh, But in my role as Dean of Students, I'm very encouraged and challenged uh, to try to find ways to help you, help all of us, keep our eyes on on the gospel and all that we are doing. And I believe chapel is one of the best ways to do that, where you just take a few minutes out of your day just to be reminded what you already know, but you sometimes forget. It's about Christ and his honor and glory, and we want to have an opportunity to worship together, to be encouraged together, and to keep that focus. Uh, There are basically three purposes I see in this, in chapels, and one of them is to encourage you or assist you in your habits of holiness. Uh, Please don't take that for granted. You are here to grow in the habit of honoring Jesus and maturing in him, as well as being grounded in one of the most Uh, strategic theological foundations you're going to find. We want to help you grow fully in the gospel. Um, It's also designed to encourage us in the work of the gospel as a community. One of the things you're set up for is to do it on your own. You've got your own world, your own needs, your own challenges. We're a community of believers in Christ, and so we want to encourage that work corporately as well as individually. And finally, As I mentioned before, it's simply a daily reminder of the gospel. Uh, I won't go into it now, but I think I can make an argument uh, that one of the reasons we have a lot of trouble in our lives as Christians is because we don't daily both encourage and be encouraged by our brothers and sisters to remember the gospel. You and I are stretched and challenged by so many other things that take our attention, but we need somebody to say, you know, it's about Jesus. (laughs) Help me remember that. And I think that's what chapel does for us as well. Well, to kick off this kind of idea, um, what I do typically in the fall is take three chapels and talk about the booklet that you first-year students have gotten and you other students who've been here for years have been reading every year, and I appreciate that. (laughs) B.B. Warfield's uh, pamphlet on the religious life of theological students. I think that's, I would still argue, one of the most Uh, contemporary reminders of the challenge of being trained in a seminary environment uh, that you can read. B.B. Warfield was, uh, as many of you know, um, uh, really a very prominent theologian in Princeton back in the uh, late 20th century, um, well, no, sorry, 19th century, 1800s to early, uh, the early 20th century. He had a profound impact on not only Princeton students, 
but on the evangelical community around the world. And it was also not just his teaching, but his holiness, his love for God, his walk with the Lord, his love for his family and his students. There was an ethos around Princeton at that time where the things of God and the holiness of God were really passionate, not only for the students, but for the professors as well. In this booklet uh, that we'll see, he is giving an address to the students in um, October 4th of 1911. And he's talking about the call of the gospel as they begin their career at seminary. And I think I want to pick up on three themes that I think he'll talk about here in this booklet. One is the dangerous dichotomy that you and I as students can do at seminary, separating our learning from our living with the Lord Jesus and what that means. The second is the area of a daily devotion. What does it mean to daily be focused on the Lord God in the seminary context? And then the challenge of a lifelong discipline, knowing that what you formulate here and the patterns of life will affect you for the rest of your life. It's a very simple, short booklet, but a very convicting one. I encourage you to keep reading it. Just as a backdrop, I want to read to you from Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, a very familiar section where Jesus is addressing his disciples about discipleship and what it means to be his disciple. And just a few verses that you're familiar with, but this is uh, the context where Jesus is instructing his disciples. Now it happened in verse 18, he says, now it happened that as he was praying alone, um, as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Let me read to you the opening paragraph of what B.B. Warfield said about the challenge of being a seminary student. And again, try to picture yourself as you are Uh, beginning your career at Westminster, but transfer yourself back to 1911 when B.B. Warfield is standing before this student body and the whole community addressing this issue of the religious life, the spiritual life of theological students. Listen to what he says. Try to imagine. Quote, I am asked to speak to you on the religious life of the student of theology. I approach the subject with some trepidation. I think it the most important subject which can engage our thought. You will not suspect me in saying this to be depreciating the importance of the intellectual preparation of the student for the ministry. The importance of the intellectual preparation of the student for the ministry is the reason of the existence of our theological seminaries. Say what you will, do what you will, 
The ministry is a learned profession. And the man without learning, no matter what with no matter with what other gifts he may be endowed, is unfit for its duties. A minister must be learned on pain of being utterly incompetent for his work. But before and above being learned, a minister must be godly. Just think for a moment about why he is stressing that and what he is challenging us about when it comes to understanding the gospel ministry. What does the spiritual life of seminary students look like? I think Jesus gives us a backdrop here to think about. <clears throat> there are many tensions in our lives that you and I will face, but I would argue godliness and biblical scholarship should not be one of them. We should be seeing the complement together of what it means to grow in the knowledge and grace of Christ. Jesus himself is very clear here. He wants them to know who it is that is calling. Who do people say that I am? And Peter says, ultimately, you are the Christ of God. To say that is to acknowledge, to know who he is, to be still before him. <clears throat> but he doesn't stop there, does he? <clears throat> He talks about the importance of knowing what he is calling his followers to. Jesus says, simply, simply, follow me. He doesn't say, study me. Sit down, take, take two or three years, and intensely study me, and then get up and follow me. He says, look at me, know who I am, and follow me. That means pay attention, be affected, and be responsive to who I am. The study of theology is as much about living as it is about learning. And Jesus is the object of our knowledge. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. He very intentionally is me-centered. I want you to know who I am. We were in chapel yesterday. It was very powerful when Professor Elliot Green kept saying, you know, it's all about Christ. It's not about you, <clears throat> it's not about me, it's about the ultimate one, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I remember when I was a student a long time ago, and hopefully you will have these kinds of experiences. You're sitting in lectures getting some wonderful stuff and you're taking copious notes of all the things that you can remember. Well, you're typing them, I used to write. Um, but I still remember, sometimes it's the passing comments that a professor says that the Holy Spirit just kind of nails you with or seals in your heart. I still remember 20 years ago, sitting in this room, introduction to systematic theology under Dr. Gaffin. And if you know Dr. Gaffin's lectures, he is just straight on and gives you great content and systematically, or to put it another way, he really continues to help you learn in so many ways. We were talking about orthodoxy, and I'm, I'm young and wet behind the ears trying to figure this stuff out and wanting to appreciate orthodoxy. And, and he started talking about the history of that, and he said in passing, you know, a lot of people uh, talk about dead orthodoxy, but if you really understand it, that's a contradiction in terms. That's an oxymoron. If it's orthodox, it produces life. And I just remember writing that in the margin of my notes thinking, wow, 
That's true. If Jesus is all that we say he is, he is life. And that's more than orthodox. That's beautiful. And I don't ever want to forget that. There are many things that you and I will hear and learn as you go through your time here at Westminster. But B.B. Warfield, in this context, I think in this dangerous dichotomy, is giving us a particular warning for a particular people. And the particular warning is this. Don't think for a moment you can separate the two, learning and piety or maturity in the gospel. You can pay lip service to that, but my brothers and sisters, keep that in the front of your mind. You cannot separate those two, especially as you start your career here. Communion with the Lord, content of knowledge in him. To pray to God assumes a knowledge of God. Can you truly have one without the other? I think the epitome of hypocrisy and the seeds of that are right here at Westminster. The epitome of hypocrisy is to have a graceless knowledge of God. You are very competent and well-grounded in theology and the knowledge of God. But the grace of God is not alive and living. That orthodoxy is not giving life. That's a frightening place to be. And B.B. Warfield says, beware, my students, beware of a graceless knowledge of God. But he's given this warning to a particular people. Listen to what he says. Quote, you are students of theology. And just because you are students of theology, it is understood that you are religious men and women, especially religious men to whom the cultivation of your religious life is a matter of the profoundest concern, of such concern that you will wish above all things to be warned of the dangers that may assail your religious life and be pointed to the means by which you may strengthen and enlarge it. You are in one of two categories. You either are men preparing for ordained gospel ministry, or you are men and women studying theology to prepare to be used in the ministry that God calls you to. And I believe Warfield is saying to us again and again, the pattern you set here will significantly affect the rest of your life. How you deal with the gospel conceptually and practically will set the tone for the rest of your life. I started this job 11 years ago. I was here maybe a year and it was kind of uncanny how many alumni that I went to school with kind of stopped in and said hello to me. They didn't know I was here, they kind of stopped in. And, but there were two that stuck out at me and they weren't real exciting stories. Guys I hadn't seen for over 10 years. And the first came in and was talking to me about his life and the brokenness of his life. He was at that time going through a very painful divorce, fighting over custody of his children. He had been in ministry for a number of years, but I remember him as a classmate being so excited and enthused and couldn't wait to get on with ministry, always wondering whatever happened to him. Another guy came in, I hadn't seen him for a number of years, I remember sitting next to him in class and him saying, I just can't wait to get out of here. I'm just, I'm really hungry and I'm getting out of here as quick as I can. I've heard this stuff before. I know what's going on here. 
I know what I need to be doing, and I know where I need to be going. I can't wait to get going. And I would have conversations like, I'm not sure it's going to work out the way you think. I met him, and he looked probably 10 years older than his age. He was a broken brother. He had hopped from one church to the next. And at that point, he was painting homes to compensate for his income. And my heart went out thinking, not necessarily what could, could we have rescued him, not that that was a bad thing, but what was going on the 10 years earlier when he was blowing through this place to get on with life, when in reality he wasn't really dealing with the gospel the way he should. I think B.B. Warfield is saying, be warned, my students of theology, be warned about the patterns you set. So what do we do? Well, we seek the Lord. <clears throat> seek the Lord while he may be found. While you are here, seek him. Don't aggressively pursue being a master theologian without equally desiring to be mastered by Christ. Hopefully many of you at the end of your seminary career will get a master of divinity. Think about that. It's almost arrogant. I'm a master of divinity. Wow. That's pretty scary. But the sad thing is, some of you might actually believe that. To know Christ is to be mastered by him. And that's what Warfield is calling us to again and again. So how do you do that? I'm sorry, we're out of time. You're going to have to come next week. And I'll, <laughs> and I'll tell you how to do that. <clears throat> Warfield says this. <clears throat> In your case, students, there can be no either or here either a student or a man of God, you must be both. What is the call of the gospel for you here as you begin your career at Westminster? It's to study Christ, to know him, and to be mastered by him. I'll conclude with one illustration of a brother who was here a few years back, Gene Ellerby. Most of you have never heard of him and will never meet him. He's now with the Lord. Gene was a man who had worked all of his life taking care of his family, and towards the end, he had some years left and always hungered to get some better theological training and, and knowing the Bible better. Gene was a guy who smiled all the time, struggled in his classes, but learned what he was, what loved what he was learning. He was diagnosed with a, a serious liver condition and had actually had a liver transplant and was uh, in that condition and came back to seminary about a month or so later. And he was like a kid in a candy shop. He couldn't get enough of what was going on in the classes. And he couldn't love enough the encouragement of others and encouraging others in Jesus. And it was just a joy to be around Gene Ellerby as a brother in Christ, watching this guy love what he was learning and living it out. But sadly, um, his body rejected that new liver. And within a few weeks, Gene was taken home with the Lord. I'll never forget Gene Hillary. The guy wasn't here that long. But I thought, God, that's what I want. I want to be so in love with the learning of your gospel that I'm like a kid in a candy shop. 
I can't get enough. And I want that to be reflected in everything about me. May God make you students who live in that world, that beautiful marriage of growing in the grace as well as the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have called us. You have called us by name to know you, to love you, and to live the work of that gospel every day of our lives. Father, we pray for this beginning. I pray for these students that you would give them that passion, that hunger to grow in the fullness of the gospel and to set a pattern that will affect them for the rest of their lives and it will bring glory to you. Do that work even this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.